Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbelay, and this is being recorded on Skype February 3rd, 2024. Happy New Year, folks, by the way. It's been a while. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. I have on the one and only John Zemanski. John and I were just chatting uh, about a conversation I had with my wife a little earlier today about these model rail radios that I should probably get back to recording them. And John, in your case, I don't know, it's probably been about six months since I last had the opportunity to chat with you. What has been yeah. going on with the model railroading hobby in your part of the world? Well, I've been I've been very busy uh, doing a lot of different things. Um, since I'm retired, I, I uh, have the time to do a number of things on the railroad, everything from scenery to weathering to replacing decoders. And uh, lately I've been working on Keep Alives and using... Uh, Seth Newman's design, or I guess it's actually somebody else's design, but Seth Newman's board. Certainly. Uh, thinking about some uh, some smaller capacitors that uh, would be partially effective. Uh, they wouldn't they wouldn't keep the motors running a long time. Been visiting some layouts, doing lots of op sessions uh, with friends and hosting op sessions. Two of the layout visits were actually very interesting. I went. Uh, these are guys that are a little bit north of me. One in Taos and and one just uh, out in the countryside. And the fellow out in the countryside has a uh, G-scale layout. Mm. It's possible you actually may have known him. He uh, helped start the uh, South Bay uh, Railroad Historical Society in oh, Santa Clara. interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, his name is uh, Bob Dolce. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has a G-scale layout, uh, or really F-scale, correctly. Uh, it's narrow gauge on G-gauge G track. And very beautifully done. He's a, an exquisite modeler. Uh, it's partly indoors, partly outdoors, and so uh, that was fun to see. And then the same day, we went up to see a fellow who used to be a uh, prop designer uh, in Hollywood, mm. and uh, very artistic. And he has a layout that's very interesting because he has an around-the-walls layout. You come up into the room, it's on an upper floor in the center, and uh, that's H.O. It just displays the trains. He's got some very beautiful trains and uh, they go around in a, in a dog bone, uh, so it's a double-track layout, and the tra- trains go around. And then his specialty is um, the scenery and the buildings mm. and just a lot of the Hollywood tricks that you would sort of recognize. I recognize them not so much from Hollywood, but more from Disney Worlds and things mm-hmm. like that. Certainly. The forced perspective. Interestingly, uh, it's HO, but he actually, in one of the foreground scenes, actually put an S-scale car in there in mm. order to force perspective the other way and uh, just a beautiful layout i mean very well done after he started coming to our op sessions he said well i want to have some switching so he built in the middle of the room sort of over the stairs a switching layout set in los angeles having some movie scenes in it and things like that from some mm. classics so uh, just extremely well done one of the fun things that uh, you know i've been able to do lately so I've also been working on the steam proto-throttle. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, work thinking about the physics and mechanics of the steam flow into the cylinders and all that sort of thing and how how throttles and cutoff really work. Hmm. And in particular, 
uh, we've been worried, you know, what are the things that somebody would expect to see in a throttle like that? Mm. What are the uh, cases where they do something that's uh, wrong, let's say, and uh, the locomotive misbehaves? An example is making it slip by putting too much torque on the wheels to Mm. start with. Another example is running out of steam at high speed. And so just exploring those those kinds of things to make sure that the throttle not only does things that make sense in, in uh, you know, 75% of the conditions, but those 25% things, that, ha- that can happen easily if you're not careful. Make sure that those happen. The guy who's actually written most of the software, he decided to build a simulation mm. that has all of the physics and mechanics in it that the uh, the throttle itself has, and uh, he's interfaced that now with JMRI, <laughs> and so it's my job now to, to run that and, and run it on the railroad and then use this uh, computer-driven sim to, uh, you know, try things out. And so, you know, there's sort of a rich little ecosystem that we have going here of uh, capabilities, if you will. The idea of simulation is fascinating. What what specific parts? I mean, is it like an actual user of the throttle, or what is he specifically simulating? It's the user of the throttle. He actually is a, a glider pilot in the past, and, mm. and he said, let's imagine now uh, that th- this simulation is a little bit like a, a pilot flying a plane on instruments. Mm-hmm. You don't see what's going on outside, but let's provide the instruments that you need. And so there's the gauges that you'd expect to have, just graphically presented, uh, things like the steam pressure, the brake line pressure, the reduction uh, that you've done in the brake line to set the brakes. There's a um, speedometer, which may or may not be in a steam locomotive. And then there's a couple of other things uh, that uh, are indications that you wouldn't have in a real steam locomotive, like what percentage of the total braking force the locomotive throttle and the train brake are doing. Uh, you know, things, again, that you wouldn't know in real life, but would help you to run the simulation. You know, part of the idea is that, you know, this is a way to exercise the algorithms that we have in the actual uh, hardware on the throttle, but also a way for people to get a sense of, you know, this is what you're going to have. Is this something that you're interested in? Uh, you know, running a locomotive is not just turning the turning the knob and it goes faster. You have to think about several different things. <laughs> So uh, that's part of it, is to sort of give people, a ch- give people a chance to try it out, try the approach out, if you will. So, yeah, it's, it's a sim in that sense. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. So in terms of your layout specifically, do you have a, a prototype of the Proto-Throttle, so to speak, that you're um, using on your layout? Yes, we have a board that I've had for, gosh, probably a year and a half or mm-hmm. something like that, maybe a little bit more, that has the software running on it, and then... Uh, it has uh, some encoders, some pots, a bunch of buttons, most of which on uh, this particular version don't do anything. Uh, the The original version of it had buttons on it and a display that acts like the uh, diesel proto-throttle does mm. in terms of setting parameters. It's a little awkward. You have to sort of go through menus by one by one and then increment and decrement things. And so I built a web interface uh, not that I'm at all an expert in that, but just I learned enough to put something together that speaks to the throttle and allows you to set those parameters. And you can imagine, uh, maybe not the engineer, but if you had a two-man crew having uh, somebody with a phone or a uh, tablet or whatever speaking to the throttle and setting some of those parameters, because it includes things like, hey, we now have this many cars on the uh, track, or excuse me, on the train, mm-hmm. and here's how heavy they are. 
Um, it also is an input for uh, grade, saying, hey, mm-hmm. we're now going up grade and you have to compensate. And the thing will actually send the locomotive, or the whole train going backwards if you're on a grade and you don't have enough tractive effort. And That's you know, brakes on whatever, you know, so there's that kind of the Newtonian mechanics, the basic, you know, acceleration and velocity and forces are all taken care of, of course. So, uh, yeah, that's what we're doing with it. And concepts like sand and these kind of things, which you use to give traction, are these simulatable properties as well from the uh, throttle? An excellent point, because that's something I brought up that we need to add in because it's such an important part of running the locomotive. Certainly. Uh, adding that in. So yes, yes, that's something that will appear at some point and presumably be a button that you push. <laughs> yes, with your train simulated sliding backwards, uh, applying a little sand to get some traction, I can see that this, this could become Indeed. a hobby greater than the hobby quite easily. Um, in yeah. terms of the, I mean, obviously there's a community around this. Do you anticipate that it will eventually be commercialized or do you think it will always be hobbyists that are, um, you know, tweaking the proto-throttle going forward? So nobody expects to make any money off of this, um, <laughs> what we expect. Now, the fellow uh, Mark Stafford in uh, Australia has actually invested quite a bit of money of his own. And then, you know, several of us have invested quite a bit of time. Certainly. And uh, so within the team, everybody will get a throttle. And then uh, his first run is of 50 of these. Gosh. And he's got, I mean, it's a beautiful throttle. I mean, it has these brass pieces that are for the uh, quadrants for the throttle and mm-hmm. the reverser. And uh, it's got a, a simulation of a brake stand with a with a little lever coming out for the brakes. So uh, it's a beautiful thing. And I think that all those mechanics are done. I don't remember if the body of the throttle is ready yet. And I know that he needs to spin one or two electronics boards and those aren't quite ready. But we know the, the software is ready, except that it needs to have some changes to the interface for this uh, new version of it. So I don't know. As a guess, I'd say six months or so, we'll have throttles for the team, and that'll be 10 or fewer. And so the rest of them will be available for sale uh, through some means. <laughs> um, and we'll, we'll just have to see how that, uh, how that goes. Like you say, it's it's not something that anybody's going to make any money off of. But if you think about it, it's really a change in the approach to model railroading. Certainly. Because you're talking about putting in enough of the physics and how these things work to, you know, make it, it, operations are just going to be different with this. So anyway, yeah, that that's that's heading along. And I'm sure that there'll be a number of takers that'll be interested in it. So, yeah, that's where that is. Fascinating stuff, John. Thank you for calling in today, and thank you for providing an update. Any final thoughts before uh, we're getting an orderly queue behind you currently? Any final thoughts? Just that it's glad glad to be back on, and uh, thanks for all the work you put into this. Terrific. Well, uh, it, it's a cast of a few people now, but uh, no, it's an absolute pleasure recording Model Rail Radio again. John, please stay on the line. If anything comes up, you know what to do. <laughs> I will. Thank you. I'd like to welcome back on Martin Coombs. Martin, it's been quite some time since we last spoke. Just on Facebook today alone, you uh, provide enough posts for us to have plenty to talk about. In terms of the um, laser work that you're doing in wood currently, I'm assuming you've got this set up in your house and you're using it to produce amazing output already. How much um, work around getting the accuracy did you need to do associated with the laser? Uh, not too much. 
it's uh, it's a diode laser, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it was about a year ago now. I've lost track of time, in all honesty. <laughs> it's uh, it was initially it was, uh, I bought it in 2017 as a mm-hmm. five watt. And about a year or so ago, uh, Darkly Labs bought out a ten watt upgrade. Wonderful. It's really vastly improved mm-hmm. the the cutting. Uh, whereas, say, like two mil MDF with a five watt, I'd be doing three, sometimes four passes to make sure it went through. I do it in one pass now, which is so much better. And it's it's a finer finer beam. And you've, you've probably seen on the Facebook posts the the grill sort of representative of, of uh, extractor grills I'm producing. Mm. Those which are called sort of veins, I suppose, or strips of of the the, the uh, grills are less than half a mil. In Amazing. Thickness. Amazing, you know, and, and it, it did that in in two mil MDF as well, uh, as as well as the the polyback material. The polyback material has, has been a real game changer yes. for me. It, it's a resin impregnated board. Wonderful. Uh, you can get it in zero point four, zero point three, zero point four, zero point six, and zero point nine thicknesses, mm-hmm. which is perfect for the the fine the details and stuff like that. And and especially with a diode, we're pretty much sort of two dimensional. Uh, with, with the lasering, whereas the CO2 guys have got more power. They can actually do a little bit of 3D texturing and stuff. Wonderful, yes. Uh, but but that, that's not in my ability on my machine. My, my machine's a desktop machine. It's, mm. it's about the size of a normal A3 printer, inkjet printer, and it's Pretty literally cool. arm's length away on the desk for me. <laughs> uh, so it, and it, and you can literally pick it up. It, it weighs less than the printer and, and put it away if you want. And I, I've just made a... Uh, a little infill panel that goes in one of our upper windows with a hose and a tube for it mm. as the vent to outside, so it extracts outside. Certainly. So I, I I just played around with the settings, uh, not too much because they they work pretty much off the bat, as it were, and and I've just been capitalising on that. And with the, the thinner material, it's quite nice producing these layered designs. Mm, so you you assemble that that three D dimension, and it's been very handy because I mean. The modelling mojos, as most people, has been lacking somewhat for, for blooming years. Yes. Uh, but it, it, it kick-started uh, last year when the we had the first of the shows for the yard. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did three last year. We did one in July, one in September, one in October. Mm. And and that, that got us all motivated a bit more. Uh, but we was very motivated in the Letchworth one because they awarded us best in show. So that's all wonderful. Congratulations. Uh, I think that always gives you a, a boost. And then, as always, you try and improve it for the next time it's out. And I've always wanted to do more pipe work and more sort of industrial fittings, lighting extractor fans and, and electrical bits and pieces. So that's what I've been doing lately. Oh, and the guttering. I've put guttering on all buildings. Wonderful. Uh, and all the downpipes. And with this newer material on the 10-watt laser, I've been lasering literally the, the gutter support clips and, and mm. the rain pipe clips it's it's been very satisfying uh, to be able to do it to that fineness certainly uh, and the factory signs i've done some i think i posted them on facebook a while back actually uh some were done with the the, the, the painted brickwork that's faded back uh, and some were actual ken's name uh, the jackson factory was mm-hmm. one of those signs it's like a structure on the roof of a factory with a framework and these 3D letters and stuff. Uh, so I, I'm I'm very interested in building signage anyway, and and particularly ghost signage on buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I'm just so into that. And with my graphic side, yeah, it's just a natural 
for me to sort of want to push that. So the, the signs were always going to to come along at, at some point. And, and the industrial side and the pipe work, and Nils printed, he printed some uh, pipe work in uh, some elbows and things in mm. resin for me with flanges and bolt heads. And uh, he printed it to a size that, that fitted standard evergreen size tube. Wonderful. Uh, so, uh, and, and they've come out really, really well. So, yeah, I've been doing that. Nothing over Christmas. The layout was left out in my shed because I thought I would do something, but I, I didn't. In- <laughs> the nature of Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was quite shocked when I did go up like, late January. Uh, it was it was a lot of mould that Ooh. appeared on the layout and the buildings. This grey mould in <clears throat> excuse me patches, and uh, I've never had that before. Mm. When I think back, the layout has never been left up over the colder winter months. It's uh-huh. always been packed away, crated up, and it's it's got a, a custom built leverette cover yes. that slips over the top. It sounds a bit posh, but it's only because Ken had a load of leverette on a roll. <laughs> carriage building jobs that it was leverette we used but Wonderful. that obviously kept all the moisture and damp and, and uh, whatever off the layout mm. so i cleaned it all off with just some ipa and some makeup wipes mm. which is a uh, advantage of having a wife and three daughters uh, <laughs> no Very good. <laughs> so it, it soon cleaned up and we've uh, been doing a, uh, some bits and pieces to i mean ken was over we're building our own uh, crowd, crowd barriers, a bit, uh, call it a crowd barrier, a barrier to mm-hmm. keep people back from the layout because we found not all shows are providing them. Oh, interesting. And with our layout, you don't want people too close <laughs> to it because it, it, A, they touch it, but uh, it's also our line of sight. Certainly. They get to know when we can't see where the crane is and where the lorry is and stuff like that. So he's made this thing that bolts onto the front of the layout uh, and, and this barrier. Uh, which is is going to work very well, and it's it's not huge in its uh, component pieces, mm-hmm. so it easily fit in the vehicles. So he's been uh, doing that. Neil's been tweaking. He's been tweaking the controls of the lorries, mm. fine tuning and programming the transmitters to give a programming acceleration and deceleration into the steering mechanism. Wonderful. And also the speed curves of the motor drives on the lorries. Mm. So we've got much uh, much finer control in the lower rev range of a lorry where where we need it certainly and also in the, the steering the steering moves more prototypically now as opposed to sort of flicking around certainly uh, which always looks i don't like them when they flicker it just looks wrong yes uh, and also uh, having the the slower startup and, and the longer speed climb means people can't shuffle them backwards and forwards quickly again that looks a bit odd certainly um, you need to control these things uh, realistically. So he's he's been doing a lot on that. He's also we had a one of the shows we had a pro, on the crane controller. It's one of those very complex controllers, way over the top. I think mm. it's normally used for helicopter flying and multi-channel <laughs> aircraft flying. Yes. So it, it, it's smothered in buttons. Yes. It's got loads of different programs, and it just so happened on one of the shows, Neil noticed, or, or the operator said that the crane hook is going up, and he can't stop it. Hmm. And we have to stop it because if it keeps going, the motor will just snap. Certainly. A whole lot. And that's a disaster. Luckily, Neil heard that and he was able to get to the crane cab unit yes. and, and cut the power. Cut the power, and, yes. So that stopped it. So he had a look at the controller. And what happened is uh, the operator had accidentally touched one of the menu change buttons. Oh, no. <laughs> and it through into helicopter mode. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so it was doing this thing and, and, and uh, basically zeroing this motor, 
which was just winding the, the winch up. So what he's now done, he, he looked through the thing to stop that happening again. He's wiped out all of the programs Wonderful. and just left left it with two, which are basically duplicates of our crane one. Okay. So if anyone ever did it again, it would only go to the same program. So it would be all right. But it, it's, it's, it's annoying with these multi-channel controls. You, you couldn't find a way of actually disabling them. Certainly. So you, you couldn't actually. There wasn't a way. As from that, he's also now working on a standalone control handset he's building just for the crane because we only need forwards and backwards, left and right, up and down. That's all we need. Yes. So he's custom. He's three D printing a handset, a laser cut one with uh, invisible hinges that, you mm-hmm. know, where you can make you can curve round to get the size. And then he asked me for the uh, was it DFX files. So he wants to check he's got the 3D print model. He's done the right size because it felt right, the laser one. It felt so, just right to the hand. Wonderful. It was, so he's working on that. So we should, at some point, have a, a much more simplified hand controller. And the similar thing was with the the articulated lorry. That had quite a complex control handset. And, again, you could accidentally hit a menu button and it, you're off on a different limiting control system. Yes. But he's now found out how to program the simpler handsets so uh, we, we've we've limited that so we're we're, we're on sort of fine tuning really uh, at the like because we've got a show we're booked in to appear well we know 16th and 17th of march yes at the london festival of railway modeling at wow alexandra palace wonderful so, which is that which is the which is where the BBC started, did its first uh, transmissions from. Fascinating. Back, back in the 30s, I think it was. <laughs> it's right up on the hill. It's a lovely building. Mm. Uh, I've been to a couple of shows to visit there, but I've never exhibited. So mm-hmm. this could be quite fun. So Wonderful. we're looking forward to that. And this and then, is particularly packed with regards to exhibits, if I'm right. You're you're exhibiting in a variety of different places. Yeah, in July we're at Chatham, mm-hmm. at the Chatham Dockyards, which that show's now come back. It, it, the Chatham shows have been held at the Dockyards for many, many years, which is a, a lovely place to have an exhibition because I, I don't know if, you, if you've ever seen the UK show called The Midwife, mm-hmm. uh, where, where a lot of that is, was filmed at Chatham Dockyards. Mm. And they actually have a Call the Midwife tour down there and so forth. But it, it, it's it, it's a really, really nice architecturally yes. uh, and a nice site. And it was the big show at the southeast for many, many years. And I used mm-hmm. to visit it a lot back in the day. I've exhibited a few times. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it, I think what happened is uh, there's a lot of clubs. The people who had always organized there got to an age and, and the time had done it and just didn't want to do it anymore. Certainly. Uh, and there was no youngsters coming up to take on the mantle and they had a few other shows that weren't so successful held in schools and mm-hmm. scout huts Certainly. and things and, yes. and then it was then it stopped completely yes but for some reason since covid the, the, the club has had a real influx of young uh, members wonderful and they and they're the ones who have, who have now jumped in to carry the mantle as it were uh, or fly the flag for it and, mm-hmm. and kick-started this show back in so we're pleased to be going to that mm-hmm. which is quite nice we were Going to the NEC in November, the big one up in Birmingham, but that's all. That's all now finished. They've announced because uh, I was about to chase them up to get my confirmation details <laughs> uh, of where we're staying and all that. Malarkey. Certainly, and, yes. Uh, a few days uh, there was an announcement to say it's no more for the pretty much same reasons like the Chatham Club. It's the the people who've done it have done it for sort of thirty odd years and enough's enough and yes. there wasn't anyone else uh, amongst other things I think NEC put the costs up and so of forth course, and so yes so 
yeah, that was going to be our. So we're down to two instead of three this okay. year for the yard. So we, we are we're keeping our eyes out for something in the autumn, uh, but we're we're not over fussed if if we do one or not. But it, it will be nice. We're trying to limit to just three a year, certainly, uh, because we have so many other things that we're involved in. It, it sometimes it's quite tricky sort of do everything as it were but yeah that's that's the yard uh what was it? i was over at kenzel that's the one thing in life that never stops the horses <laughs> they always produce both figuratively and literally yes yeah week in week out uh, nothing nothing phases them nothing mm-hmm. stops them they don't have so, holidays right <laughs> no no they, they never have a break they never go away uh so i was over there wednesday uh we was emptying the the skips Mm-hmm. Uh, nice, nice dry day. The track was lovely and dry. I didn't mm. need to use any sand for grip. It was, it was really good fun. And Ken's grandson now is about six foot three. Gosh. Uh, he's, he's really grown. Hello, uh, just passed his driving test. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he and Ken for the last few years has, has taught him how to use the digger. Wonderful. So uh, he's been doing the digger down. You know where we actually tip the skip, yep, yep. level out the thing. He's been leveling that out uh, and stuff. So yeah, it, it was. That was a, a good thing. It's that's that's been a normality thing uh, for years. Mm. Uh, Ken is he's uh, building an indoor sixteen mil uh, narrow gauge layout. Wonderful, and it's a model of his own railway. <laughs> How big is it? It's must be about ten twelve foot long, mm-hmm. eighteen inches deep. Wonderful. In, in true scale, it's I don't. Do you remember? Uh, where the, the, the line used to turn, go for a 90-degree bend to the side of the stables to where the skips were parked. Certainly. And then it would go along the front, the little station, past the uh, engine sheds, and then start to go down uh, the zag. But effectively, it's from that right-angle bend to when it's just gone past the engine shed yes. in scale. It, it's that area. Fascinating. And he's made a, a lift-off fiddle yard. He's now also, as I was over there Wednesday, was showing me. He's he's also doing the zig and the zag now as well in Wonderful. front of the lab. Wonderful. Um, what happens is it all uh, the, the zigzag bit at the front, which is a lower level, obviously because mm-hmm. it zigzags down the hill. Certainly, that all, all unclips and stores underneath the layout itself <laughs> when not being used. Wonderful. And he's he's done a lovely job. It, it's all scratch built track. Uh, all the buildings are scratch built, and and it really is really captures it and. The two, uh, oh, that's the, yeah, Neil, uh, Ken's uh, had a, a Ruston and a Simplex uh, model, which were just on-off battery-powered. Well, Neil was fitted radio control to them, so he's he's got full control of that now, uh, so he can radio control the, the locos, which has spurred him on now to rescue his garden railway. The Did you ever see a 60mm garden railway? I can't uh, remember. I, it might it, have been under the tarp or something. I seem to recall... It was it, mentioned, it, but I, yeah, I don't remember actually yeah, physically seeing it. it. It's set into the bank uh, of, of the... Of wood. course, of course, yes. Uh, and it, yes. It, it's, it's dug into that, and nature's yes. last few years has, over, has taken it over. Mm. But now he's got these radar-controlled diesels as opposed to just switch it on and let it run type thing, so you can actually control and do something meaningful. He started to uh, rescue his, his garden line from uh, Mother Nature. Mm. Uh, uh, so he's, he's looking to use that more, which is good. There's a few things happening there, and what else? Oh, my garden line. When was I last? I think I last called in March or something last. Something week. like that. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a long time. Yeah. It's been too long. <laughs> oh, lost mum in June. Mm. Uh, that's, I'm trying to think. Last year, so, but that sort of 
kick the stuffing out of us in the summer. Yes. Uh, so, and, and I've been tied up with sorting out all those bits and pieces and stuff totally. that goes along with that. But I, the garden line has fared pretty well. It, it's the, the 40 degree temperatures in the sun we got. Mm. Uh, all the buildings have, have, have been fine out there. Oh, very uh, good. And I've been uh, battling the foxes still. Uh, <laughs> one of them recently chewed the corner of the signal box roof. Mm. So, uh, that. But one thing I have done, where I had the sort of loose ballast, and I've never really liked the, the mixture colours of it. Yes. Uh, also, the foxes and cats dig it up as a, mm. as a litter tray, which has been annoying. I've now changed. I've been lifting it up over the summer, and mm-hmm. I've replaced it with something called grano dust. Oh, interesting. No, I haven't heard of it. Yeah. Tell me more. It, it's like it's, it's, it's literally it's a granity sort of dust, mm-hmm. uh, which is used over here quite a lot, where they put it down as a substrate underneath artificial grass. Interesting. So drainage, so, basically. Yeah. Yeah, they put it under there and they compact it and they put the the grass over it. Well, it's it's relatively cheap. I mean, a twenty five kilo bag. Uh, is four pounds ninety nine. That's yeah. nothing. Amazing. Uh, yeah, and it, it's incredibly cheap. And what I've uh, done, I've, I've got a local builders merchant. I popped down, and I went down there one time, and he said, he said, I've got a bad back. He said, if you can lift them bags up and put them in the car yourself, he said, I'll put more in them. So <laughs> I <ended up> with, <laughs> I'd, I'd gone for a hundred kilos and came back with one hundred and sixty. Oh my goodness! <laughs> uh, and what I've been doing is, I've got uh, three or four grades of sieve. And I sieve it out into the different grades. So the first lot I put down is the coarser stuff, mm-hmm. and then some medium, and then I fill it in with finer, and I tamp it. And then I've been dripping on, rather like you would model ballast, uh, SBR. Interesting. Which is a, 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 a stuff that they mix with cement as a plasticizer. Certainly. And also they paste under the paving stones when you put them down, so mm-hmm. they adhere to, to the, the, the glue. And, and it doesn't need thinning. It, it's a bit like milk in its consistency. Mm. So I've put that on. And eventually, after five days, it knits the grano dust solid. So now I've noticed the cats and foxes haven't been able to scratch up any of it. Fascinating. And, and it's a nice sort of grey, evenish tone rather than a multicolour ballast. And an added bonus, moss seems to like it. So in the silence, <laughs> it's this nice sort of natural moss colour. Wonderful. Uh, and, and bits of moss that, that have been growing. But while I was doing that, I, I lifted uh, a lot of the point uh, timbers, timber supports, and I put in extended timbers where the switch uh, mechanism is mm. so I can make little uh, switch throws by the points rather than just flicking the blades. So I, I spent a, a fair bit of time because we had a lovely summer and it was just nice being out there. So I just sort of made the most of it. Uh, so I've, I've been doing that. I got all of the track cut and mm. all the wood supports for the, the final stage round to the back of the workshops. Wonderful. But I, I couldn't actually get it screwed down because autumn came on too quick. So it, mm. that's all covered with felt and things just to keep the foxes off it. But I, I, am, I was talking to Ken the other day. I'm going to do an offshoot into one of the sheds uh, from this section because I find when I go and use the line, it's it's a pain really to get the stock out of the office, carry it outside yeah. and so forth, just to have a session. I thought, well, I can go straight into the workshop at a lower level and build some staging yards under my workbenches so I can just run in the coaches and wagons inside quickly and I just take the, the locos indoors mm. and and I can have a, a locking sort of covered fronts to it. So if I want to do any uh, operating, I just take a loco out, flip up a, a sliding door in the shed, hook up some stock and drag it out without having to box it all up, take it back, put it on the shelf in the office and stuff like that. So that's that's going to be the plan for this year. 
to get that done. And I want to get try and get all the track down in the spring so I can start having operation sessions here Wonderful. in the summer because we're, we're, we're moving more towards that, going somewhere to operate a layout mm-hmm. rather than take a layout to a show <laughs> uh, and do it. It's a, it's a lot easier just to go to someone's house and have an operating session and uh, a nice cup of tea and something to eat. Certainly. So, and I've, I've in between to get there, I've been building some kits I've had in stock for ages and mm-hmm. stuff like that just to try and kick myself uh, into action. Certainly. Uh, and looking at going to start planning the big industrial indoor bit of the line, which will go that that that'll be in the shed where you saw first Sunday in June and the other yes. bits and pieces that time. The whole back wall one end is going to be a big industrial uh, narrow gauge complex along Wonderful. the lines of uh, the White Oak Light Railway and Fearbold Yard, that mm-hmm. big factory buildings and stuff like that. Because that's that's what I like. I mm-hmm. just love industry, big buildings and narrow gauge. So that that's my plans for that. Oh, Brick Girl, not mm-hmm. much there. We had a very, very successful Santa two weekends ago. <laughs> very uh, good. I think we, God, 1,200 kids we, we Gosh. put through Gosh. Uh, over four days. Gosh. And, and they took on my suggestion. I said the previous ones, that the last trains we were running was about half four and the volunteers' ones was five o'clock. That's when it had got dark and that's when all the lights looked at their best. Mm. Most people have missed when it looks its best. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, rather than start at 10, why not move it to sort of midday and into the evening, which they did. And so there's a lot of people more in the evening side of it. Fascinating. Um, we've invested in more lighting, there's more features, and uh, it, it went down very, very well with everybody. Uh, it, it was a, a great success for the railway. So that looks like that's a firm fixture uh, on the calendar. Great. Uh, we've got some track upgrades to mm-hmm. do, which Ken is organising working parties for that over the next three months just to work on sections and it's, it's sleeper replacements really sleepers down uh, they was all new uh, about 50 years ago <laughs> years ago and, and of course they're all starting to drop out yes and at regular intervals so but because we've got the high lift lifters and things it's a bit easier now because we can lift up whole track panels wonderful and we've got diggers that can just scrape it flat drop Terrific. the new panels down and, and ballast so that makes things easier so we've got that to do and our first show now, because we don't do an Easter show anymore, mm-hmm. Easter opening, because there was too much else on at Easter. Mm, yes. So, yeah, there's too many distractions. So we thought it's not worth doing. It's a lot of effort for people. So our first one is in May, uh, actual uh, operation. But we do uh, half-term holidays and midweek diesels for the kids and stuff mm. like that. So there's there's always stuff going on. But, uh, yeah, I think that's that's about me. One final I, thing before we get to yeah. Dave Brazza. Your post on Facebook today with regards to Holy War, which is a, a kind of stripped-down steam locomotive. What's the story with regards to that? That was on. That's from the Welsh uh, slates uh, uh, or quarries, slate quarries. It, it used to work there mm. uh, for, for many, many years. It's a well-known loco. But uh, Joel's uh, made a beautiful model of it. He's based on the, the Slater's Plasticard 16mm rough pup mm. uh, kit. Because there's a series of locos, all different names, the same loco, um, different finishes. But he's, he's modelled it in the beautiful work-worn uh, thing. And even down to that faded lining uh, mm. and stuff he's done. But he's he's fitted, which got an ultrasonic mister. Gosh. Uh, and, that is, <laughs> and that is what is producing the smoke. Fascinating. It's, uh, I mean, they're only three quid off eBay, Gosh. Uh, this thing. And he's worked out that... 
if he if he just ran it solidly on on his battery that he's using for the radon control, it would run for forty five minutes constantly because he's built a bigger reservoir of water for it. Oh, fascinating! Okay, and it would run for forty five minutes, just literally steam just spewing out the chimney. Certainly, which isn't great because, uh, as he said, it, it should chuff mm-hmm. and it should pulse. Mm-hmm. So he's then worked out that he you can switch this unit on and off the little control board. Uh, and he's done that. He 3D printed a, a cam that goes over the axle, and it's got four magnets on it, and, and they switch a reed switch on and off, so it does four beats uh, in line with the with the loco. But he, he also found something. Now, when you switch the mister off, when it the, the reed switch puts it on again, there's a, a dealer time when it reheats itself to get into action, and it wasn't working. He found now, though, if he keeps this constant, I think it's constant two-volt feed to it, mm-hmm. it keeps it sort of tickled in a standby state. So then that enabled it that when he did switch it to, to do the pulse, it, it did it in the chuff in, in sync with the rotation of the wheels. He, he, I mean, he's got a series of videos on his channel of how he did it. And, it, and it's fascinating how he works at it and, and identifies the problem and then creates a solution uh, out of sort of, now, now you see the solution, it's, it's quite simple. Mm. But it, it's coming to that solution is the real skill. And He's using his 3D printing skills and knowledge and his uh, electronics and radar control and his, his uh, engineering look at stuff. Certainly. Uh, and, and, of course, his artistic skills in the final finishing and painting and presentation. And he's now going to build uh, a small 16mm micro layout mm. for, it, for it to run on. Uh, Wonderful. Three, he did some uh, 3D prints of 009 tipping wagons and... In 7mm, he did them, 3D printed, the actual working tipper wagons, those little wooden-bodied ones that tip and then open out. Mm. So he upscaled one to 16mm and printed one to go with it. That's the one that's on the loco in the video, if you've seen the video. Mm-hmm. That, that's a 3D printed uh, wagon, which he forgot he left it on a 10 micro foul layer level when it took two days to print. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but he's printed another one. But, yeah, he's going to build something for it to run on. I did say to him, once you start in 16mm, it's a bit of a slippery slope. Mm. You get you get hooked into it. It's just – it's such a satisfying scale. Certainly. It's voluminous. Yes. You've got a real mass, a mass to it. Yes. And you can do really quite fine detail that's not that difficult to achieve. Mm-hmm. And because of narrow gauge and the tighter curves and the shorter stock and stuff, Certainly. you don't need a lot of space, mm. lengthwise, linear space. Yes. You know, it's a little bit like the 7mm shunting plank that got the 7mm side of things rejuvenated in the UK about 15, 20 years ago. Mm. And also when people like Backman and Daypole produced lovely ready-to-run tank engines and things like that uh, that made it affordable. You didn't need you know, thousands of pounds and a huge estate to to enjoy O-Gage. You can do it. You can enjoy it immensely in quite a small space, mm. but really going to town on the detail. So, And I'm seeing more and more 16mm micro layouts appearing. Mm. It, it's really sort of taking momentum because there's a lot of cottage industry suppliers now. Certainly. You know, the laser printer people, the 3D printer people. There's a lot of really, really nice stuff being produced. There certainly is, yes. You know, and, and, and you can produce it yourself. And then, like me, the, the home desktop laser cutter is it, an absolute <laughs> got A whole heap of stock to print out, uh, and, and well, print, to cut out mm. uh, stuff for the garden line. But it's, uh, yeah, it keeps, keeps me 
keeps me amused. But yeah, it's 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 only really this last five six months I've actually got my mojo back to to get on and and do stuff. You know, it's it's uh, and, and we're all on a bit of a roll now. You know, as as we're all sort of boosting each other along mm-hmm. uh, and, and start cracking the stuff out again. And, uh, and it's it's good to to get back on the show as well. It's, Definitely. Uh, no, I was just a, saying at the start of the show that yes, it has been a while. But uh, Michelle, my wife, was asking this morning about why we, I don't do it more frequently, which is always a, a positive sign that uh, the frequency of the show should in, improve. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's been an interesting period. But uh, as you well know, daughters are a force to be reckoned with too. So oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Keeping yes, them happy is, uh, is very important. One final thing before you go. What's the most interesting thing that you've uh, – produced with your laser so far i mean it's interesting i've had the ongoing discussion with ron Kleiss, um associated with a another hobby that i'm involved with and uh he always has other people getting in contact and asking for things to be laser cut what interesting stuff has someone else asked you for laser cutting for no particular interesting stuff i've been asked for i've done sets of windows for mm-hmm. people in in formal and that mm-hmm. and a card uh, and, and done all that but i suppose it for me the the interesting stuff has been these these aircon units and these tractor fan units i've, <laughs> I've been doing it sounds really sad all to get out more really but i and I, I just have this fascination and, and, and i collect loads of photographs of these units that are, are on factories decaying and and they're just hanging there on brackets some of them not being used anymore and you'll mm. see a pipe sticking out that's sure. just been blanked off and yes. it's just left and I like pipe runs where they see it's it's there's no benefit in removing this pipe. Just blank it off. Yes. That, that's all they do and just leave it there. So I'm interested that and that the yard will have some pipe runs where there is a pipe, but there'll be another pipe and there'll be some brackets that are completely redundant. Mm. That and these brackets, I mean, I like the drawing of it is for me very easy because of my day job as an illustrator as Certainly. well. It, it's uh, and I do technical illustrations as well as freehand illustrations mm-hmm. and stuff. So I'm very used to producing these drawings like really quickly mm-hmm. because I because my laser, the interface with it is a program called Lightburn, which mm-hmm. probably a lot of people know now. That seems to become an industry standard for the, the software to interface with your laser. But it's also a very good drawing package. Mm-hmm. But the thing that drew me into it initially was it accepts native Adobe Illustrator files. Oh, fascinating. Easy. So I, I draw everything in Illustrator because that, I mean, I've been using Illustrator for over 30 odd years. Certainly. So it, it's what I'm comfortable with. So I draw everything in Illustrator and I just bring it into Lightburn. It accepts it. Uh, and I just drive it straight to the laser uh, mm. from there. So I just love drawing this industrial stuff and you'll see more and more of it as I, I see stuff. Uh, actually, <laughs> there's one project I, I, I saw, I was on Etsy and I saw something that's quite, quite a nice idea. Someone had done some coasters. Uh, they've made uh, small versions of pallets, mm-hmm. you know, the forklift pallets, mm-hmm. and, they, and they've done them just the size to stick a coffee mug on. <laughs> and I thought, do you know what? That is really cool. Certainly. So I, I've got because uh, I keep all my offcuts, no matter how small, because when I'm doing things like seven mil gutter brackets, I mean that you can get four or five of them on a thumbnail. Mm. So all these oddball bits of, of uh, stuff left over, I can cut out half a dozen brackets from it. Because some people have asked me about laser, you know, how do you make money? And I, mean, I don't do it for money at all. So I said, you make a lot of your money on trying to do something with what you would normally have thrown away. Mm. So I tend to have, uh, I'm building up this sort of collection of, of brackets and, and pipe joiners and flanges and all sorts 
that I can cut out of all these scrap bits. And yeah, ultimately, I would like to put a little online shop or something and start trying to, you know, selling some of these things mm. uh, once I've sort of got the stuff sorted out and, and how I want. But uh, yeah, it, it's the industrial stuff with little bits of detail. Yeah, that's the fun. But I've also got a whole host of stock to build, and I'm sure that will take <laughs> up. Uh, on and, and because of this polyback, that's been a uh, – I've had a stalling point uh, because I it was very difficult to get like a one mil ply reliably here mm. that, that would laser cut and hold out. Well, this mm. polyback really d- does away with the need for that. Mm-hmm. So this really fine fretwork stuff I needed to do, I've now got the solution, which has been holding me back on a lot of things. And when you see wagon kits that people have done in MDF, and, and, and I can understand why they do it, things like the wagon strapping and bracing, they also do in 2 mil MDF, and it's just too thick. But I, I understand for cost restraints and, and ease when I do it. Well, what I've been doing, instead of using their 2 mil stuff, I've been redrawing it and rerunning that those elements in the thinner polyback stuff so it looks much more scale. So it does look like proper ironwork and strapping and stuff like that. So I find that quite fun uh, and, and just just trying to sort of tweak things up a little bit and, and push to the limit. But I'm also interested because in Darkly Labs and in Blazer people leaked out something in November. They got a new machine coming up and then mm. they're rolling out the details. They're dripping them out this month, apparently. <laughs> so I'm just intrigued to what it is because the 5 watt to 10 watt for me upgrade isn't twice as good it's, yeah. it's four times as exactly good. yes because i don't have the time wasting if i if i quickly do something it, it's within a minute it's done mm. you know and i think oh whereas the other time i could wait in 10 minutes to see that oh it didn't work you know i can problem solve a lot quicker i mean i'm nowhere near as, as like ron he, he's probably he's got big co2 lasers now i can never ever compete mm. with the speed and power of those mm-hmm. things but for me when you're sort of designing something on the fly that all those sort of Four times as quick cutting for me for small stuff makes a big difference in what I can produce mm. and, and get out of it. So I, I've got more buoyed with the, the laser cutting side of things, but I still <laughs> haven't after two years switched <laughs> printed everything on the 3D printer. Mm. So I've got a Prusa FDM printer sitting literally on the shelf above where I am. Uh, and so Neil put it all together for me and tested it ages ago. I just haven't got around to to doing anything but i will because mm-hmm. I, I know once i've sussed that out and got into the 3d cad stuff once i've sussed it out i know i'll be away then and, and off and banging out stuff because that, that's what i like doing i like making stuff certainly making and creating that that's that ticks my box that floats my boat as it were and that, that, that's what i get the most fun out of I, I don't know if that answered your question i can't remember what it was now Tom. <laughs> well it was just i'm indebted to ron class for uh we, I mean, I do pay him for uh, a, a meagre amount associated with uh, probably his time and his um, actual board. But no, it's it's fun knowing someone who has a, a laser cutter, if you have these kind of ideas. And what I find, or what I found historically with Model Rail Radio, is typically one person in a crew will buy one of these things, and then they'll get, uh, well, it requires people like Jim Lincoln to have particular railroading interests that they'd like to have, you know, cut out on a laser. Uh, but no, it just absolutely fascinates me. And as you said, I, I was running my mind through my physics education. And when you move from five to 10, you do actually get a, a four times benefit out, the joy of lasers. Anyway, yeah. thank you very much for uh, for calling in today, Martin. Please pass my regards to Giles. He's always yep, we'll welcome do. back on. Uh, it'd be wonderful to have a chance to catch up with him, particularly, as you say, 
um, due to all the stuff that he's producing and videos and all this other stuff. So, uh, and for the rest of your crew as well, so uh, let them know that uh, Model Raw Radio will be coming back with some degree of strength. And it's always a pleasure catching up with you folks in Kent. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd try and get some of them on when the, the next one comes up. And uh, we, we would have done a lot more, hopefully by then as well. So we'll, <laughs> we'll have plenty to talk about. Always enjoy being the peer pressure. Martin, pleasure catching <laughs> up as always. Take care. And you, Tom. Cheerio. I'd like to welcome back on Dave Brazza. Dave, you're always doing something associated with the hobby. What's been going on for, I don't know how long since we last talked. Since we last talked, what's been going on? I'm putting in a staging yard in a place where everyone would say never to put in a staging yard, mm. which is underneath a very complicated interlocking. Oh, no. Oh, no. But, uh, you know, it's, there's no other space left. So um, I'm, I'm entering into the project in a very considered manner confident that when something breaks on the level above i'll be able to pull all the cars out of staging and remove the small 30 inch sections of staging track piece by piece and slide them out of the way and get to work Mm. so com you know compromise life is compromise engineering is certainly compromise space is the compromise right this is the problem that we all face yeah well i never you know what's the rule about staging build twice as much as you think you need and uh, I built, you know, twice as much as I thought I needed. And then my regular operators pointed out to me, oh, no, 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 that's not staging. That's Fremont. So then that's cool. <laughs> that's great. Except now I had zero staging. Very good. Uh, so, they, you know, it's uh, – so, yeah, I, I have to build a track that goes over the river, through the woods, underneath this and under that, and uh, around the water uh, water pump. And uh, then it goes – winds up under an interlocking. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's a challenge. I like challenges like that. Very good. Very good. So in terms of the gaming aspect of what you were doing with your layout, is that all now old hat? Everyone's used to passenger trains hurtling past them as they're trying to do detailed operations? Yeah. Yeah, well, the, a lot of my regulars uh, accuse me of uh, never settling down on a particular operating scheme, but uh, I, 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 I don't like every session to be solving the same puzzle over and over again. You know, I mean... Uh, one of my operators showed up with a bunch of uh, bad order cards Interesting. Uh, that you would fill out if you had a pro- a defect with your car in round. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was some confusion between the, the, the dispatcher and another crew about how far that train was going to go. And so the individual found himself with a, with a car that he couldn't spot. So instigator that he is, he filled out a bad order card and left it on the spot uh, cool. with bad air brakes. <laughs> and, and, uh, so, you know, this created an interesting one time only train uh, train movement that uh, I may not ever repeat, but it certainly kept things interesting. Mm. So uh, that I, the the jazz improviser in me, loves to roll with whatever merry mix-ups happen mm. on session one and roll those into the operating scheme for session two. Keeps Always. it fresh for me and Very fresh for my, for my regulars as well. Certainly, certainly. And in terms of layouts in your area, have you seen any new ones recently that have inspired you? There's a guy uh, about 45 minutes from me named Dan Aviles that's mm-hmm. building a fantastic CSX layout that's based on the old Delaware and Hudson territory. Oh, fascinating. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. There's a number of local operations gurus that are helping him uh, hone his operating scheme. Uh, his He's 
five times as good at scenery as I am. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'll, I would, I volunteer to help him with electrical. Hopefully someday he'll volunteer to help me with scenery, but, uh, it's, that's, it's an inspiring layout. And, uh, he's a, um, he's a finisher, which is a, which is nice to see in the hobby, you know, especially a guy like me that I tend to start and start many things and finish few of them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I take inspiration from Dan's layout, but I also take inspiration from the fact that he starts a thing and then finishes the thing. <laughs> Sir, it's a good protocol. <laughs> Rarely used, but always impressive when you see it. Yes, it's one yeah. of those protocols you'd love to do yourself, given the opportunity. Yeah, yes, please. <laughs> but, uh, it's not. In, it's not in my nature because uh, you know I just I get in. I you know when somebody talks about ultrasonic steam chuffs, uh, it gets me really, really thinking. I mean, that's fascinating cool. stuff. Uh, yeah, really cool. Yes. So, in terms of upcoming operating sessions, in terms of stuff like that, what are the winter months like versus the summer months? Not a big change for me. The crew numbers tend to go up in the winter because mm. there's less fun outdoorsy things mm-hmm. happening at that time, in particular, less golf mm-hmm. for for my operators who are so inclined. So there, but I, I you know, I tend to average two sessions a month. Uh, uh, weekend session and a weeknight session, so that that really doesn't change uh, too much. So uh, no, I mean it's just the only real question is whether it's dark when everybody shows up to operate. Or late. <laughs> very good, very good. In terms of the Bay Area, how frequently do you get back these days? Uh, I'm planning a trip out in March, mm-hmm. uh, and it's coupled with a trip up to Seattle to operate in SoundRail. Mm. So uh, it'll be the first time I've operated layouts up there. So I'll be in the Bay Area in, uh, I don't know, third week of March or so, mm-hmm. just to check in and say hello. Um, but, you know, I, I, I like to go at least once a year because I, I still have, you know, brother, mother, father out there. So it's so, always nice to uh, give them some uh, proof of life from time to time. So basically what you're doing is twiddling various aspects of your layout based on uh, occasional explicit feedback, occasional implicit feedback from your operators currently. Yeah, um, it, it's it's that. And, uh, you know, the, the signal installations are ongoing. Uh, the, the gentleman in uh, Florida that was building all the signals on the lower level is, is starting to get to, to complete the order. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every time more signals show up, I have to take a little diversion and uh, put the logic into the LCC nodes and the, into the panels and get those all going and tested to my satisfaction, which is used to be more fun, but now it's exactly what I'm doing for my day job. So it's kind of like, <laughs> I really want to go downstairs and do pretty much literally the same thing I was doing upstairs for eight hours. I'm not sure. But it's cute so, and uh, small, right? It's cute and small and your day job never has that option. <laughs> it's cute and small, and not only that, I have complete control of every engineering aspect in the project, which is like, you know, now that thus begin the delusions of grandeur for Dave, right? Mm. Um, so I, there's, and there are no compromises when you're the, uh, the proprietor and the chief engineer. Certainly. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, historically, I've used my open source for that. What I can't do in the day job, I can do in my open source. So mm-hmm. I do appreciate exactly how important that is. Yeah, the, uh, after you go back to the gaming aspect of things, uh, it is uh, every time I put in uh, another signal location, it's less onerous for the 
uh, operators and dispatchers to communicate their intent to the crew. There's less radio traffic. Wonderful. You can just look at the signals and go. Yes. And it's really, it's really what I intended for the portions of the railroad that are that are busy and 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 signaled. Uh, it's exactly what I want. And the the more closer to completion the signals get the more time the operators can focus on moving trains on paper for the portions of the railroad that use that method. Certainly. Well, Dave, it's it, been a pleasure catching up. Any any relay news? Have you bought any new relays recently? No, no. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess. Uh, <laughs> my my sh- my shelves are full, um, you know. But uh, no, no exciting new relays. No, no relay news. <laughs> Very <laughs> good. Words. Very good. But uh, th- thanks for asking. It's a pleasure catching up as always. <laughs> you know how we do things. We have. Uh, JG4 on the call, so it's going to go in a very interesting direction, no doubt. But always great to catch up, Dave, and always good to get a sense of uh, where your layout's headed. <laughs> good to talk, Tom. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Take care. I'd like to work on. John Gardino the fourth, known through his friends or maybe his enemies as JG4, um, associated with the modern railroading hobby and podcasting in general. What has been going on since we last had the opportunity to talk? It feels like a whole lot of everything and practically also nothing at all. I've been doing everything except making uh, meaningful progress on my own layout. Always important. <laughs> I just got back from uh, Springfield, uh, the uh, Amherst show, uh, and I had Certainly. a ton of fun with the um, uh, AML podcast group. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was actually my first public appearance uh, since the uh, Proto Future podcast, and it was really fun because I felt like a real podcaster now. Mm. Yeah, no, the nature of the voice, I'm not sure if you've had that experience where you just walk along talking to someone, and someone shoots out from behind some booth saying, you're Tom Bubble, aren't you? Or in your case, obviously not that. But, uh, you know, the, the nature of the voice in a train show when you're just talking to someone uh, is a phenomenon that I, you know, it's one of these things about podcasting that no one actually talks about, but it's particularly fun when it happens. <laughs> yeah, uh, w- one of the most fun moments was um, uh, as I was just walking along, I think um, uh, Heath from Humanity Junction, uh, he uh, ended up walking straight up to me. And had, at the moment, I had absolutely no idea who he was. Uh, but, but he said, oh, yeah, I, I, I love the podcast. Please t- uh, tell something for the live viewers. By the way, 87 people are watching right now. So talk quickly. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Yeah, the whole this whole spectrum. I've been playing with YouTube recently, and just realised that for certain things, I mean, you, the YouTube algorithm is very fickle. But for certain things, I've had a, a viral video recently just explode. And you know, when you realise you've got you know how many thousand people are looking at something you're producing. I mean, there's so many different media methods now. I come back to podcasting because I've always done podcasting. But it is fascinating this new live aspect to the hobby and the ability for people. I guess you could do obsessions and stuff live as well. Oh, definitely. The the pandemic certainly kicked that one off. Although that that's a level of technical acumen which I definitely do not possess myself. Mm, interesting, interesting stuff. So, in terms of what's coming up in the podcast, any any topics of interest that uh, people should tune in for? Well, uh, uh, the script that I'm working on right now will hopefully tie all of my disparate ideas together into actually what it is that I'm working on my own personal layout. So uh, maybe it's time that I actually give you a description of what it is that I'm working on for my own private stuff. 
So uh, through a long and uh, complicated series of justifications, I've been able to figure out a way where through reasonable justifications, uh, I've been able to run pretty much every single passenger train I could ever want in a seven by 14 foot space depicting southeastern Minnesota in uh, just for the hell of it, we'll call it the 2040s, uh, some arbitrarily near off point in the future Mm -hmm. where for all intents and purposes, it looks and functions practically like modern day, mm-hmm. but I'm just setting it far enough in the future that we can say there have been modern developments in intercity rail transit, mm-hmm. but near enough that we're not having like flying cars or anything too complicated. And is it, I, as, as a futurist, I always love to ask this question. Is it a dark future? Is there an improvement in graf- the quality of graffiti? What, what makes it in the future specifically? The fun thing is that I've had a a, a very fun time in the past two episodes of basically dissing a lot of uh, how model railroading currently is, Mm -hmm. but I'm taking the long way round of arriving at the exact same place of what everybody's doing anyway. Mm -hmm. I'm using model railroading to build a tiny world that I want to see anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm using model railroading to build a world that I want to see. It's a very hopeful future. Mm. Rather than be very annoyed and impatient and wait for the uh, State Departments of transportation to build the trains i'm just building them myself anyway it Mm. just so happens that they're a little bit too small for me to ride on but uh, i'll fix that in post certainly certainly fascinating stuff fascinating stuff so the vision of the future that you actually lay out in your podcast is probably perfectly recognized in a in a model rail layout um in terms of industries and these kind of thoughts what what are the industries on this layout So uh, at the moment, it's not really going to have many freight industries. It is going to be very Mm passenger-focused centric. The the, the concept is going to be kind of on a a bypass route uh, that will be a largely um, government-owned rail line uh, stretching between uh, Rochester and Northfield, Minnesota. Mm. And my thinking is that CPKC uh, or other railroad lines in the area will rent time on the government-owned rail in order to bypass congestion around uh, freight rail yards in St. Paul. I'd say that they have like a hotshot freights uh, or, or even just freight trains that need to get to, to Minneapolis on the other side of the Twin Cities. And so it will be kind of like a first step in the United States nationalization of the a rail system, mm. kind of like what uh, Europe has with the uh, open access rail operator system. I was going to uh, ask you about that, actually, because I'm not sure you've, you've traveled to Europe a, a few times, at least I remember from your podcast. It really changes the dynamic. The UK is another good example of this associated with flipping in some regard between political extremes associated with what rail should be used for, be it a public enterprise, a private enterprise, some hybridization of the two, some where just your head hurts. Uh, (laughs) Thankfully, Martin has never actually, of his collective, I won't name the names associated with those that have actually been connected with the railroad in England. And it's always fascinating to meet people who have experienced this over a 30-year period of, of flitting between uh, various political uh, perspectives. So it is interesting. You, it, so at some stage in your dark future, the rail industry has been collectivised, socialised, but then potentially is in the state of commercial throwback. What, what's, the, what's the perspective there? So at least for the moment, it's hopefully going to be a, a hopeful future. That, mm-hmm. that, that's kind of what I'm aiming for. So at least on, on the first level, it's going to be this largely through running operation, heavy emphasis on the passenger trains, and most of the freight trains will just themselves also be through running. 
um, and it's going to be a heavy emphasis on uh, scenery, urban scenery, and then uh, prairie scenery, and then the, the train station. I'm kind of imagining it a little bit of an Americanized version of Innsbruck Station in mm-hmm. Austria, mm-hmm. Uh, something like that, kind of like a node on um, a, uh, a broader passenger train network. And then once that's done, I'm going to try and build a second level, which actually will have uh, freight train switching opportunities. I'm thinking it will be something like a uh, like a more modern short line, uh, like a progress rail uh, or may- maybe something like Genesee in Wyoming uh, around the vicinity of Awatona, Minnesota. And that's going to be connected to Rochester uh, via a frequent diesel multiple unit hybrid light rail system with at least hourly uh, departures back and forth between Awatona and Rochester. Uh, kind of offering like a, a regional commuter system back and forth to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. So uh, it will be, that portion will be a much more traditional uh, freight switching branch line, but it will also be connected with very frequent modern passenger rail service as well. Mm, fascinating stuff, fascinating stuff. So in terms of bottling the locomotives, the brass tacks, what, are you, what modifications are you making? I'm assuming you're taking existing locomotives and futurizing them and existing passenger services and futurizing them or... Uh, how much plastic card are you actually using in the circumstance? Some of it I have to wait on, in part because since uh, this is a CPKC branch line, kind of since the merger uh, uh, happened, I, I just have to wait until somebody puts out a CPKC locomotive. So I can't do anything on the freight side for the locomotives anyway. Mm. I, I think I might be able to get something in the interim, like a, a leasing unit, like maybe City Rail uh, or maybe a FERC's locomotive for a switching diesel unit. Mm. But otherwise, probably CPKC for mainline stuff. For the passenger trains, for, for the, the DMUs, uh, which will be stopping at Rochester Station, that actually was probably the single biggest thing that started me on this journey. Mm-hmm. About two years ago, Pico put out an Americanized version of their Siemens Desiro Sprinter mm-hmm. uh, in mm-hmm. the NCTD uh, Sprinter livery, which runs between Escondido and Oceanside. Mm-hmm. It's an absolutely delicious little model three trucks and a mostly a see-through interior. Mm. Uh, and it's been so fun for me to just MU them together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will someday eventually have to repaint them into some sort of hypothetical livery. But anyway, that, that covers the uh, frequent commuter service mm-hmm. livery. About, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, Athern put out um, the North Star commuter rail uh, and an F-59 PHI, even though I know North Star uses like a MP-50 whatevers. So that was uh, an easy get off of eBay. And uh, since I'm doing modern or, or like future word uh, passenger rail stuff, I thought I would extend the North Star southward from Minneapolis to Rochester. For the passenger trains, the, the intercity stuff. I'm kind of thinking for uh, that this would be a southward extension of the Northern Lights Express, but which is currently in not yet built passenger train. In fact, unfortunately, it looks like it will be postponed by another few years because Mm. their environmental impact statement expired. And so even now uh, they have funding, even though they've already done the environmental impact statement, they now have to do all that work all over again because Mm. in America, this is why we can't have nice things Uh, anyway. So a lot of this also started uh, because I liked uh, the Talgo train sets of Amtrak Cascades, which mm-hmm. ran from, I think, the late 1990s uh, to the mid-20-teens, mm-hmm. uh, or at least the original Talgos. They're older, they're, me, the newer ones, which are a little bit uglier, are still running uh, between uh, Vancouver, Seattle, Portland, and Eugene right now. Uh, and they had vertical fin uh, wing cars 
at the end of the train sets that swept the low-hung uh, train sets up to the level of the locomotives. And so I am making a, a, a hypothetical livery of uh, those train sets in the Minnesota Department of Transportation style guide approved color scheme mm. of silver and green, and then pairing it with the beautiful Bachman uh, Surfliner Charger, uh, just adding a, a layer of green on the, uh, the the lowest level. So again, it is technically set in the future, but it is near enough future that I can just basically operate it as a modern layout, just a better version of the modern day that I would much rather live in than the actual modern world that has been given to me. Mm, mm. All right, that was probably a much longer and more convoluted answer to your question than you were expecting. Something to think about or something to consider, which you've kind of mentioned already, is the existing and curious ready-to-run offerings in a variety of places like South, various South American uh, countries where they have views of freight which could almost be futurized from American uh, perspectives. I mean, just the visual, I don't know what the term would be, just the visual differences I've always found fascinating. Same with Australian locomotives and rolling stock. But if you find an area that no one is, or your operators aren't familiar with, you could oftentimes create a, a futuristic passage with that, which seems to be what you're already describing, basically. But you're just keeping it relatively stateside in the description. One of my favorite options is that actually I learned a lot of the European models that uh, like aren't the uh, weird Marklin three rail type setup. Mm-hmm. They actually do use U.S. style NMRA compliant DCC and sound decoders. Mm-hmm. So as long as you just don't like trigger station announcements, which are probably like programmed in, I don't know, Polish or Greek or whatever, you can probably actually port over existing European models. And then they probably will run uh, with minimal, if any, modifications on our current setups, and it looks to an American eye like an otherwise completely futuristic vehicle. Alien, yes. Um, <laughs> and so that would, that would be a fun way to do it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I have on my shelf in front of me a variety of uh, acquired pieces of Australian and even British you know, locomotives and rolling stock, which are visually very, very different to the US prototypes. So uh, it's always fun to see. So in terms of your space and these kind of things, I, I remember in terms of your stage of life does it require a layout that you can travel with or what what's the requirement for your layout associated with potentially moving in the foreseeable future a sawzall <laughs> or, or a stick of dynamite that too Very the good. thing is i i've been working on this idea for a long time and then when things started just coalescing i kind of reached a point where I, I, the idea w- it was so good i all of a sudden lost the self-restraint to not do it anymore. To limit yourself, I, I yes. already had another layout. So I started all of this modeling ON30 in the 1890s, and, and I got it pretty far along on it, too. I was I was getting so close to, like, a shakedown operating session. <laughs> and then it just got to the point where I was like, okay, well, I don't care about this anymore. So, and then I just started tearing it all up and i'm i have no idea how i'm going to uh deal with any of it i'll cross that bridge when i come to it the current layout that i'm building i am trying to accommodate joints uh in certain sections Mm -hmm. i think i have two pieces that are well uh, 11 feet long one is uh two feet wide one is four i have uh, and then two end caps on either end and then it should just be a tiny little bit uh with a jigsaw and then a little bit uh, of cutting the track 
And then when I move to a new place, I can just, it, it will take a little bit of time to like relay the track over the joint. And I probably will have to like domino it around a new space, but at least I will have done most of the work in order to get that particular section uh, to the point. But it was like, honestly, I no longer wanted to keep working on the layout that I had. And I no longer wanted to keep twiddling my thumbs and just waiting for a dream layout. I just had to get going. I had to do something or else I would explode with all of these ideas I had in mind. Mm. You're channeling the late Terry Terrence. I could no longer control. Yes, you're channeling the late Terry Terrence associated with just getting on and doing it. So hats (laughs) off to you. Well, John, it's been a pleasure catching up. Any final thoughts, anything you'd like to throw out to the podcast before we wrap things up? Um, I wanted to thank you so supremely much for giving me the time of day. Way back, what was it, in um, uh, October, November, you definitely gave me a much wider audience than I deserved. And I I genuinely hope that I uh, uh, live up uh, to uh, your your kindness. And uh, we'll see where this takes us. Amen. That's the nature of podcasting, I think. We'll see where this takes us is basically the philosophy behind any given podcast. And shouts to the numerous podcasts, although I haven't been able to put out a Model Rail Radio recently, there are a number of really interesting podcasts that are fitting the bill. You mentioned the AML Network, obviously ongoing uh, friendship there, but there are you know new podcasts cropping up almost on a monthly basis, which I thoroughly enjoy seeing, and they gather a new community around them, and there are a bunch of names that I've never heard of before and a bunch of familiar names. I'm still active. Shout-out to Mike Slater, who I was hoping would call in today, uh, but didn't get around to it. So keep doing what you're doing, John. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much, Tom. So, well, I've got a shout out to Robert Thomas because I know he's going to be doing a grand editing job with regards to putting all this stuff together. Thank you very much for Robert Thomas for picking up that requirement in this process. The evenings are always interesting, but tend to be a toddler filled. So, Robert, thank you for picking up the editing. Pleasure catching up with folks today. Um, my hope is to start doing this with a greater degree of frequency. Uh, obviously, there are half a dozen things that are running in parallel with regards to this might delay the recording of future shows but uh well you know so thank you very much for everyone for calling in today and thanks for folks for listening in good afternoon good night tom thanks tom see you soon good afternoon tom thanks tom see you